Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Unlocked, a podcast focusing on all mental health and identity-related topics through the Caribbean lens. I'm your host, Audrey Augustov, Haitian-American and licensed counselor. Welcome back to another episode of Unlocked. I am so excited to be back. It has been a long journey getting these next batch of episodes out. I've had a lot of rejections, (laughs) some people who wanted to but couldn't in the end, but here we are. I'm so proud of the material and the conversations and just the self-exploration that's been going on in these conversations and these episodes. For this first episode, I've had the distinct honor and privilege to sit with Orlando Boquete from Cuba, right? And Orlando is one of those people that you believe his life is like a story, right? And when I first heard about him, it was by accident. Um, And that's, that's actually one of the funnest parts about recording a podcast is sometimes you'll just be surfing the internet and you'll see something and you're like, ooh, that's a perfect guest, right? So I have a friend who volunteered at the New York chapter of the Innocence Project. And if you've never heard of the Innocence Project before, it's an amazing effort to help get wrongly convicted criminals exonerated through DNA testing. And he posted Orlando Book at this 15-year anniversary last year. So when I saw his story of not only being wrongly convicted, but being a fugitive for 10 years and six months because he successfully broke out of prison twice, I knew I had to get him on my podcast. And that was no easy journey. I mean, he is not a person that has any social media. No emails could be found. I had to contact the Innocence Project and they got me in touch with him. And I was finally happy to be able to get him. And even that wasn't simple, right? I mean, Orlando Boquete is somebody that because of his history, doesn't have access to a lot of jobs. And for that reason, they encouraged that he gets paid. So I organized a GoFundMe, which was very successful in helping me get Orlando paid for this visit. And so I'm really excited to be able to share this story and this conversation that I had. And in this episode, I've also incorporated some parts of Orlando's story that I wasn't able to collect from him, but that I researched through reading Jim Dwyer's article that he wrote for the New York Times called The Fugitive, which was an interview he did with Orlando back in the year 2006, right after he was exonerated. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank all my listeners for your support and respectfully ask you to please take a moment and rate and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. And I'd love to hear from you. I mean, if you go down into the show notes, you'll see different opportunities to get in contact with me. I'd love to get to know a little bit more about who's listening out there and why you find yourself, you know, continuing to come back to unlock the podcast. Now, without further ado, take a listen. Hello, Orlando. How are you today? I'm doing beautiful. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Oh, man, for me, I mean, you know, part of my podcast, we, I'm always like trying to be very 
intentional about how I answer that question. Today, I feel honored to talk to you and I feel really good. I mean, I've been doing some, like, I've been taking care of myself better than I have in the past. And so I feel happy and, and I don't know, like, I'm just doing a good job as an adult, you know? <laughs> That's good. That made me feel good you're thinking that way because I believe God used me for do something beautiful, you know, in this moment. Um, my life, my past, I don't think in my past. I use my past to jump, you know, mm. to jump the fence anytime, you know. Um, and that made me happy because I believe you can make negativity thing happen in your life. You can make positive, you know, to yeah. give good example to new generation. I'm here for you to ask you to you any question. I'm an open book. I don't have to hide nothing in my life. Thank you, God. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your openness. Um, I'm so sorry about my English. Don't apologize. Like, no, don't apologize. Remember, never forget where I learned English. <laughs> you were <laughs> learning English. You learned English in the I'm prison. I'm sorry I said that. But it's that's okay. True, that's true. That's 1982. But I mean, so just to let you know, right, um, and and also just to remind the listeners, I mean, this is a multicultural podcast. You know, in the past, I've had like a guest from Guadeloupe where sometimes I needed to translate from French. And, and you know, in the same way, we have a guest today that's, you know, from Cuba and that learned to speak English, you know, in the prison system. So maybe not a formal English education system, but, you know, we're very welcoming and inviting to... You know, the multiculturalism, that's part of the component of this podcast. So to me, I don't expect any of the listeners to have a problem with it. But uh, no need to apologize. To me, it's actually part of the beauty of this podcast. Thank you. Look at this. Let me tell you something. I'm so sorry. I learned English and Schengen, you know, but in in that time in prison, you you can complete the college. Ah, okay. And now, no, they don't got rehabilitation now. The God, you know how they call DOC Department of Correction? I talk about Florida. You know how, how they call I call the criminal factories. Mm. Right? A lot of young young men over there, they don't commit a big crime. They're together with the bad people, right? And no rehabilitation in the Department of Correction, DOC. Okay, so I mean, I just want to, you know, I'm very excited to talk to you and I'm very intentional about wanting to have a conversation that honors where you are today, but also acknowledges, you know, what has happened to you. There's so many different ways that we can kind of approach this conversation, because to me, when I read about your story, I just the first thing that came to my mind, like this is a person that's very resilient and that has like such a fighter spirit, you know, that almost refuses to be knocked down. And so in order to really capture that, I think it's really important for us to kind of start from the beginning. And I, I want to understand, first and foremost, about your decision to leave Cuba and to come to the United States. That's a good point, a hard, hard point for, for me, to me, because this is the only barrier to me, little bit, I'll be honest. Um, I think every day about my family. I be in love when I came from Cuba. I'm married two times. I be in love with my second wife, real, real love. But she a communist. She like the system, you know. I don't like the system. But anyway, I made the decision to come from Cuba. I born in 1954 when Castro came to Cuba. I'm five years old. That's it. I'm raised and grow up with that system, communism, you know, communism. 
you know. Mm-hmm. But when I open my eyes, I say that's nothing for me. Here. I go to school. I go to I, I go I do a sport. Normal, normal, decent, good boy, good boy. My mama happy with me. Everybody happy with me. But my mama no, I don't like the system. My mama no like either. And my grandmama is. She they don't like the system. What happened? I made a decision. I came to the United States with beautiful dream. All right. Uh, I came in May 15, 1980, in Maria Boat. I don't know if you watch a Scott Face movie. I don't have nothing to do about <laughs> that. But you know. Anyway, I came in 1980 in Maria Boat. Orlando spent the first two years of his migration to the U.S. working in construction and as a night clerk. It's important to establish that Orlando's presence in the U.S. was legal. His work was documented, and he reports filing his taxes for those two years he was able to lead a normal life in the Cuban-populated neighborhood of Miami, affectionately known as Little Havana. On June 25, 1982, Orlando's life would change when a woman reported a break-in and sexual assault, describing one of the assailants as a man with a shaved head. At the time, Orlando and his cousins were on their way to a local convenience store for some cigarettes and beer. Freshly shaved to combat the summer heat, Orlando fits the description. Hey, I go to a store. When I get out of the store, I saw two, two police cars. 20, 20, about 20 feet from the store. I don't see nobody. I don't see nobody. I only see a police. Police call me and go over there to the, to the police car. And they're grabbing me, boom, boom, put the handcuff on me. Said, do you arrest? I don't know, because in that time, I speak no English, nothing, all right? And they take me to Canadier, and that what happened. Right. Next day, when they bring to me the charge, somebody, another guy, they, the Cuban guy, Tony Miranda, the black Cuban, he's my friend. <laughs> he, he really said, well, well you, you're in trouble. I said, why in trouble? He really told me the charge, burglaries with assault, like a home invasion. I intend to set somebody. The, the, the guy Tony told me, they can give to you life sentence for this. Our judge can give to me anytime you want. Oh my God. Okay, that will help. Wait, but for, let, me, let me jump in. I'll let wait. me jump in. Let me okay. jump in, right? Because, I mean, you're telling the story. You decide to come, and soon after, you, you know, you fit the description of somebody that made a complaint. A police saw you, they arrested you. And at the time, you're not really speaking the language. You're not even really understanding enough about the legal system to understand, you know, what are the consequences of the kind of charge that they're putting up against you. I mean, can you talk to me about explaining what's happening to you, to your family back home? I mean, how do you even let them know, like, this is what's happening to me? Is it... You know, do they believe you? I mean, talk to me about just no. letting them know. Oh, that's, that, that's a good point, too. That's something. My mama always believed me, always. She never doubt about me, my mama. But I have one couple of brothers, they doubt about me. Because remember, running for prison for 10 years, all right? That, that affects my moral. That affects my reputation, they're good boy, you know? Do you believe your family die about you, you talk about about you know, he raped somebody, he's robbing, he delinquent, un delinquente, boo boo. That affects me. Let me tell you something. Me bad family. <laughs> Believe that in Cuba. Remember Cuba is a communist system. 
they, that brainwash, you know, in Cuba. Charged with burglary and assault and battery, Orlando stood trial at a time when the reputation of Cuban migrants was characteristically low due to the stories of their alleged criminality. The verdict rested between the validity of Boquete's family's alibi against the victim's confident eyewitness identification of Orlando. Orlando would be convicted and sentenced to 50 years. But before he would be transferred from county jail to state prison, a book would find itself in his possession detailing the firsthand account of Henri Charrière, a man who escaped from a penal colony in French Guiana. Orlando would later describe this book as one that gave him power and hope. I'm waiting for my first appeal. I never asked to reduce the sentence. I, I asked for a new trial. I say, okay, I talked to another inmate, and he wanted to escape to Robert. I said, Robert, I want to, I have to get out of here and go back to Cuba or something. That's injustice with me. He said, and that, and that time I speak no English, you know, but he speaks little Spanish. He told me, okay, waiting for the first appeal. Maybe you go back to court. They clear everything. I'm waiting for my first appeal. When my first appeal coming, do you know who did my first appeal? The poly defendant in Miami, I never talked to him on the phone. I never see his face. In one conference, he told me, Orlando, I'm you, you poly defendant. I said, wow. Introduced to me himself. He said, I'm so sorry. Okay. But they live 50 years since. 50 years, I never get out of prison. I died in prison. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I have to jump the fence. I had to get out of here. I smoked cigarettes in that time. And prison, I said, no more, no more. Still running, 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 started running. running, running. Okay, Every so like running. when you when you were originally kind of making the plan, part of it was getting in shape for it. So you stopped smoking cigarettes and that's when you start like running? For, yes, for sure, for sure. Only when you can run from prison, if nobody waiting for you outside, it's you late, I'm in good shape. Correction officer. They're in bad shape. They don't run. <laughs> but I think, I think about that every day. Every day. I, think. I have a lot of dreams mm. because I can't resist to die in prison, right? I say, I go get out of here. I go prove I'm innocent someday. Okay. Well, I, I think every day in, bad, in, in that time. Because let me tell you something. To escape is time. Escape is time, time, time. I, think, I say, okay, I plan every day, every day. First, I did it in good shape. Good shape. We jumped the fence before 10 seconds. I say that because my escape partner, he from, I believe, Vietnam veteran, you know? Okay, so you had you had an escape partner. Yes. I saw somebody behind me say, in, in English, big, big man, white, big, white boy, boy, man, he said, can I run? I run it with you. I say, I look at him. I say, well, you run. You can run it with me, but not talk and not say nothing to me, please. Run it. Follow me. He can't follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I leave him. Let me tell you something. I believe in God and Jesus in prison. All right. My first Bible I read in here. I never read in Bible in Cuba. Right. Okay. I believe in God and Jesus' name. Right. God help me. God help me. You know. Orlando has a way of downplaying just how blessed his escape really was. To be precise, Orlando and his escape partner slipped out unnoticed, scaled two fences, 
and sprinted to, and eventually plunged into, an alligator-infested canal to avoid the advancing search dogs. Boquete would let her estimate spending two hours in that water, after which she crawled through an orange grove, eating oranges to stay alive. Orlando would then crawl through sugarcane fields, swim through an additional four canals, and follow the path of railroad track throughout the span of two days, where he would eventually find refuge with a group of Mexican migrants. After spending about 10 weeks with them, they would eventually purchase a used car, which Orlando drove, leading them to a new destination. But escaping prison wasn't so rare in those days. Jim Dwyer of the New York Times writes, quote, Florida prisons virtually leaked prisoners. 972 prisoners broke out the year Boquete ran, 1,234 the year after, and 1,640 the year after that. Most walked away from work crews. Prisoners also left in foul cabinets, garbage trucks, dressed as women. The trick was not just getting out, but staying out, end quote. I mean, 10 years is a long time to be on the run. You know, 10 years is is a long time. It's a long time to hide your identity. It's a long time to attempt to make a living without really being able to leave a trace behind. I mean, it's a long time. It's a more hard time when when running from prison and do time in prison. Believe that. It's hard. Very hard. Right. I don't want that from nobody. It's hard. I do better time in prison. And time passes more fast for me in prison because I don't think. Every day I live it day by day, day by day. Day by day I get out of here, day by day I do work out, day by day. You know? Yeah. That's real hard for me. I can't drive it. I had to hide it, run it like a slave, like a real slave. I'm a nervous. Let me tell you something. I don't, I, I, I don't like thinking about that, but mm. that affects me more at the time I do in prison. I have to hide it. I got two brothers that came from Cuba. They came from Cuba and running from prison, you know? I can't visit my brothers, my two brothers. My brother not trust me in that time. Now they trust me because they see, you know? But in that right. time, they, when I'm running from prison, people don't want to see me. The people I know, they don't want to see me. I'm a hot, you know? Right. I'm a hot man running from prison for bad and terrible charges, you know? You know how many days correction officer truck running behind me? Many times, foo, 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 behind me. Close to me, they don't touch me. <laughs> I pray to God, say, God, please do pray, pray, pray. Believe it or not, believe it or not, Orlando Oketa can say that. I never doubt about God. Right. You touch my emotion now. Mm. You, touch, you touch my emotion. I know that that is probably one of the harder parts for you because I think in that time, that's probably when you were most in touch with how the world saw you even though you knew you weren't guilty which is like people not wanting to be you know aiding and abetting somebody that is on the run and you wanting freedom but like not really fully being able to experience it because you're on the run and I imagine it being a time where like even if you're meeting people like not knowing who to trust and 
not really being able to make real connections, like, oh, everything being kind of short, short term and not being able to invest in anything. Nothing. You're not, you can't have nothing when you are in that situation. Sometimes you may be money, little money, have a good time, beautiful girl, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But next day, what happens when you open your eyes? <laughs> That you, I did it sometimes for to forget, you know. But next time I say, hey, I have to run it again. I have to mm. run it again. Yeah, that's not easy. It's not easy. How many people run it for ten years in the United States never get out from this country? Count, not too many. I, I go around the United States everywhere, everywhere. The best place to to hide is New York and Chicago. Twenty times. I move. I move a lot. I move a lot. I use about different identification five. And that time you go to New York, you get ID. <laughs> no problem. It's different with social security. But why? Why didn't you leave the country? I mean, I wonder why did you stay in the U.S. First, I love America. I'm I'm a political. I hate communism. All right. I love America. I'm I'm a little angry. I say I want to, someday when I escape from prison, I got twenty thousand dollars in my hand. I call it. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, that that's that's a little difficult. Um, you know, if I meet some girls, you know, some woman, I had to hire it. I said, man, I had to hire it anytime, hire it, hire it. That's a real bar. Like a different day. <laughs> I don't right. want that kind of life no more in my life. Right. Never. So it's it's like running away forced you to become a person that you're not because before you were incarcerated, you were an honest, good, you know, law abiding person and it's like when you're on the run, you have to become like a liar to survive. I'm very curious about the kind of relationship you were able to maintain with your son throughout all of these changes, being accused and having some family members not fully believing you, coming in. My family not really love me. My family not really love me. I know that already. That's what I have to say. Wow. You got a situation like that. That kill everything. That kill love, everything. Leaving Cuba and leaving all family. Hard, hard to leave a mama. I never see my mama again. My family only love me is my mama. Mm. I'm my own sister. I'm my own sister. Nobody else love me. That's what I have to say. I'm sorry to say that. Mama, I love you. I'm, I, let me tell you something. I born again in 2006. I born again. That's what I got in my mind. I enjoy my old time. Mm-hmm. I enjoy my last time in my life. God bless me in this time. My mind is clean, good, good health. That's why I can say God bless me and go use me to do something good. Orlando was quite emotional when exploring the history of rejection he faced from his family. He discloses most of the tension coming from his siblings while having nephews and nieces that love him. And for those of you who are wondering, Orlando was able to organize a trip to Cuba in 2018 where he was able to connect with his son. Orlando spent 10 years and six months moving from state to state, assuming false identities and outsmarting the law. In fact, 
Would you believe that Orlando got arrested half a dozen times under his false identities for drunk and disorderly conduct and DUIs and still didn't get caught? In 1995, while assuming the identity Gilberto Rodriguez, Orlando got arrested while occupying the home of a friend who illegally possessed guns. Orlando would be sentenced to a year, and you guessed it, he escaped again <laughs> while on the outside work group. He simply walked off. Several months later, he would be rearrested under the same identity for running out of prison. Orlando would then spend some time proving his real identity as a step towards eventually proving his innocence. Having heard of the Innocence Project, in 2006, he was educated on how he could file for a motion to submit his DNA and was finally exonerated. But being a Cuban migrant who spent many years on the run meant Orlando wasn't yet free. He was released into the custody of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They deported me. Okay. They deported me. I had to sign the deport. Because in that time, if you, Marielito, you came from Cuba in 1980, Cuban refugee in 1980, and Maria bought, they hold you indefinite. Mm. Indefinite. They deported me. I can't touch the water, the ocean, for six months. I can jump on the boat for six months. I don't have work permit. How I survive it? Because two ladies, they passed away already. Help me. I give pray to, to living. Right. I'm completely no car, nothing for six months. No car in the bus, in the train. I'm signed. I never lost. And they give to me a pardon, immigration because I completed that for six months. They tried me like a terrorist. At last, after six grueling months of investigation from ICE, Orlando proved that he was not a menace to society and given a pardon, allowing him to stay in the U.S. However, once again, Orlando was still not done fighting the system. Two years after his release, the state of Florida passed a law entitling individuals who were wrongly convicted of a crime to $50,000 for each year they were wrongfully imprisoned. The only stipulation is that exonerees cannot receive this compensation if they had felonies prior to being wrongfully convicted. And though Orlando has no priors, his two escapes from prison are felonies that are being counted against him, denying him access to the compensation he deserves. My compensation situation is racist and political. I'm personal because I escaped. Yes. They get mad with me. I don't want the money for to buy a good car, buy nothing. I want the money to open my own organization. I leave it when I pass away on city on CTA soon. When I pass away, leaving the, the, the organization here, I don't ask for nothing else. That money is not enough money to bring back the beautiful time in, in his life. And, and you know, mm -hmm. no, do you think they can bring my beautiful time? I lost in prison when I was young. I go to prison when I was 27. <laughs> I get out of the prison in 2006, I'm 52. No money for running from prison. Running from prison is bad too. That destroyed me more. You know, they don't see that. They don't see nothing. They don't care. Undoubtedly, Orlando had seen a lot in all of his years being intertwined in the U.S. penal system. Here, he details a perspective about the nature of how law enforcement functions in the U.S. 
they may allow me to stay. They, they, sometimes they give too much time to people, you know? Yeah. To young people, they give too much time. And that boy, 21-year-old, 18-year-old, because he 18. That's a steel boy, man. Send that boy to rehabilitation, you know? Right, Program right. or something. They put that boy with guy that five life sentence. Big gorilla life sentence. Oh, that's how they do it. That the city right. do it like that. I don't hate police, but I don't believe in police. Mm-hmm. Look at this. The, the, the prison escaped from its great correction institution. I escaped in February in 1985. Mm-hmm. That prison, they shut down, they closed for corruption. It's prostitution over there, gangs. Okay. Okay. So, I, I mean, there is, I'm hearing that there's been a lot of obstacles. And when you talk about your rebirth in 2006, I'm understanding that, you know, yes, you went through a series of unfortunate events and painful events, um, but that you're still connected to your concept of hope and, and, and God. And I, and I want to take some time to really talk about that, right? Because I don't want to make all of your story just about what happened to you before, but really kind of give you a chance to, to talk about who you are now, you know? Um, who I am now? Yeah. Who I'm Orlando Wokete, 1980, OBQ and Refugee. I'm free. I'm so happy. Yo soy un hombre libre. Estoy contento. I'm happy. I involve myself with the community, with young people. Young people, they love me. No complain. No complain in my life. No complain in my life. I'll be honest. No complain. How many childs? How many children send you hospital? with cancer, sick. When I run, I mean, when I run marathon in 2016, looking half marathon, I had to go to the bathroom and, and cry because finally I saw the children in the one child in the beer in the wheelchair. I said, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, but I got my project. I got my project. I pray to God. Okay, Orlando, I'm, I'm so, so, so grateful that you came and you shared your story and were honest about everything from the parts that were painful in regard, as regards to your family system and, you know, the, the fact that you still have hope and that you have a relationship with God. And, and I, I really hope that I can, through this podcast, be some kind of agent in bringing attention to what's going on with you and um I'm, i hope to keep in touch with isabel who i was communicating with in the innocence project to you know get a hold of you about any updates uh regarding your attempt to get the compensation that you deserve from the state of florida and you know i pray that you continue to keep an upbeat attitude and that you can continue to experience joy in this life so thank you so much for coming okay thank you um, thank to you, all right? And um, thank to everybody here, me. Thanks. Thank you, Orlando. Yeah. Well, there you have it. A story of a man who refuses to give up no matter the odds. I'd like to thank Orlando for reminding me that there is always something to look forward to in life, no matter what we've been through. I'd also like to thank Isabel Vasquez for all of her work in helping me to speak with Orlando. Have a blessed day, and remember, real talk with surreal understanding. <laughs>